All right, so we are in a series over the next couple of weeks. We started a couple of weeks ago on January 1st in which we are explaining the heart of Summit Community Church, all right? Who are we? Why are we here? Where are we going? So in part one, January 1st, we looked at Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, to see what a true church should look like. And these uh, messages, the first one and the second one, are on our YouTube site. So if you haven't heard those, I would encourage you to just take 30 minutes and go and, and listen to those. So NPR, National Public Radio, NPR ran an article recently about the future of the Christian church. Church attendance is in decline, they said, and quite frankly, I think I agree with them overall. But some creative leaders are finding ways to keep church relevant in this new cultural context. Okay, one person left 30 years of ministry and started what he called the spiritual community that basically centers around a garden. Okay, another person, uh, Pastor Caroline Vogel of an Episcopal church, actually, uses their sanctuary for yoga, breathing exercises, and other alternate forms of spirituality. She said this, just because you leave organized religion doesn't mean the hunger to connect with the divine is going to cease, she says. Your human breath is infinitely connecting to the divine breath. She said actually that in one of her yoga classes, so that as you breathe, you are being breathed by the holy. One person in the article said this about the church, about the garden church. Generally, I'm here because I want two things out of church. I want time to sit down like we do on Sundays sometimes or around the fire and pray and like recenter and figure out what we're about in this world because the world is very noisy. And then I want a church to get beep stuff done with your community and for your community. Now, Friends, I'm all about blessing the community, right? If you look at our mission statement, bless the community is part of our mission. It's why we are here in the first place, right? But the key part of this person's comment here is not sitting around a campfire and recentering, and it's not about getting stuff done within the community, right? Or quite frankly, it's not about bringing major elements of a false new age pagan religion into Christian worship in the form of Hindu yoga. Okay, and I would, I would um, if you do yoga, I would warn you that when you do yoga, that is a form of worship in Hindu religion. So be careful. I'm just going to say that. Be careful. The key part actually is at the beginning where this person says, I want two things out of church. This assumption is that her desires are relevant and what she wants out of church is even the least bit important. All right, the whole article was not about showing the love of Christ for our community. In fact, the name of Jesus or Christ didn't even show up anywhere in the article. Okay? It's not about rebellious human beings with whom God is angry, yet loves us so much that he sent his son to take the wrath and punishment of God for our sin in our place, that then we might become children of God. No, it was about how the God of self is now determining how church is done using relevancy as a thin excuse. All right, this kind of makes me angry and it makes me sad at the same time, right? So many people, 
I mean, think about this. So many people, when they're looking for a church, ask questions like, what do I want? What feels meaningful to me? What makes me feel fulfilled? The constant question to those who don't attend church is this. What would it take to get you to come? My friends, this is the God of self talking. I, me, my. We're the ultimate consumer and we want it all our way. Right now. The old Burger King commercial, right? You can have it your way. But how many of us ask, what does God want in his church? What does Christ want his church to look like? I mean, after all, the church in Ephesians chapter 5 is described as the bride of Christ, right? This is why we look into the word of God. The word of God is literally what God wants to communicate to us. He wants, this is his mind. We looked in the word of God to figure out what kind of church we want to be, right? What our church should look like, what Summit Community Church should be. Because if we don't look to the word of God for what God wants the church to be like, then we're just using our own self-interest to figure that out. And then in doing so, quite frankly, I think we just contribute to the disease of church stagnation and decline. Right? I believe that the reason the church attendance overall in America is declining is actually for this very reason. When church begins to look like a cheap imitation of the world, why go? I mean, honestly. When church abandons the truth of God for what the world is saying, why go? I can get what the world's saying on TV or the internet. Why do I have to get up on Sunday morning and come? Pay 10% to the church. I could save that money. <laughs> you know, after all, I mean, think about this. I can go to a chief's game and see more dedication and passion than a lot of times I can see in the church. The church is supposed to be set apart for the purpose of God. Okay. To worship God, glorify God, to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to bless our community. Okay. But it's supposed to be different. No less passionate, perhaps. Actually, I'm thinking even more passionate than the Chiefs game. But definitely different. Okay? Focus not on ourselves. Okay? But on glorifying God and loving others. The Greek word for church is this word called ecclesia. And it means a called out community of believers. Okay? Let's face it. What we want in a church, quite frankly, is not really relevant. All right? All that matters is what God wants. He created us, after all, and he created and called out the church to be the bride of Christ. Okay, that is why we went to the Bible to see what God had in his mind for the church, right? And why our goal is to model ourselves, Summit Community Church, after what he has in mind. So that's why we looked at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, right? To see what the church should look like. And that is why we're kind of diving into these pillars, what I call them, pillars of Summit Community Church that biblically, biblically actually hold up our mission statement, okay? So last week, we looked at the four pillars. Uh, we started to look at the four pillars of what holds up our mission, right? What supports the answer to the question, why are we here, 
Remember, the answer to that question, why we exist, is this. To glorify God, to make disciples of Jesus Christ, and to bless our community. Very simple. Glorify God, make disciples, bless the community. Very simple. Very biblical. And I believe that there are four, I call them pillars, right, that hold up the mission statement. Last week, we covered preaching the word with boldness. That's one. This week, we're going to be looking at worshiping in spirit and in truth. Next week, we're going to cover acting out our faith in love. And then finally, we'll look at having the mind of Christ. Okay, this will take us into February. Now, the first week in February, February 5th, I want to let y'all know, we have a guest missionary who is based at a church in Colombia, and he and his wife are heading to a closed Muslim country uh, in the Middle East, North Africa area. So he and his wife are going to come. They're going to share his calling for ministry. And then we'll get back into the Gospel of John, starting with John 3, 16 through 21, okay? But I really would encourage you to come and hear this young man's um, vision for this closed Muslim country because if you go to South America or you go to Europe, you know, to be a missionary, I mean, that's all well and good. Those places need that. If you go to a closed Muslim country, people get their head chopped off if they convert. <laughs> so we really want to bless this, this young man, this family, um, so his name is uh, Jeff Fox, and so uh, I really, uh, we'll see more about him. I would encourage you to come on February 5th. So let's read our text this morning. Open your Bibles, your Bible apps, whatever you got, to John chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 7. We're going to go through verse 26. It's a little long, but I wanted to give you the whole context, okay? But we're really going to be focusing on verses 21 through 26, all right? So let's read the Word of God this morning. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the time, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, 
And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. That gives me goosebumps right there. I'm sorry. That's like, I am. Woo! You know. So let's look a little bit at the context of this passage of Scripture, okay? Jesus was on his way to Galilee, and he had to cross through Samaria geographically. So the relationship between the Samaritans and the Jews was kind of similar to, let's say, the Israelis and the Iranians, okay? There's no love loss there. Hatred, actually. But Jesus walks right into this mess. He sits down, and he asks for a drink. So it's interesting that Jesus even speaks to a Samaritan woman who, quite frankly, in Jewish eyes, is like the lowest of the low, right? This was why she was actually so surprised that he was even talking to her. But Jesus had other plans, right? Instead of answering her question directly, he kind of ratchets up her amazement level a little bit, a notch or so. Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that was asking you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus actually tells the woman that the amazing thing is not that I'm asking you for a drink, is that you need to be asking me for a drink. Jesus calls this living water, the gift of God, right? But she doesn't understand, right? She is so focused on her physical needs, getting this water out of the well, that she doesn't, I don't, she doesn't really get where Jesus is coming from. So Jesus then tries to raise her amazement level up another notch. But then again, in verse 15, she still doesn't quite get it, right? She doesn't quite get it. So Jesus then drops the bomb. He's like, okay, I'm dropping the bomb right now. There is no substitute for getting a person's attention than to expose a little secret, to shock them into paying attention, right? And Jesus did just this. So Jesus asked her, go get your husband in verse 16, right? But it turns out she has five husbands and the man she was sleeping with was not her husband either. So she spoke truthfully, but quite frankly, there's more to this story, right? Why do you think this person has to come to the well, not at 6 a.m. in the morning when it's cool, but at noon when it's in the heat of the day? The sixth hour, as verse 6 tells us, that's noon, right? No one else probably wanted her to be at the well with all the other ladies who were coming to draw water. They didn't want her company. No one really likes the company of women like this, except Jesus, except Jesus, okay? When confronted with the truth of her lifestyle, what does she do? She like deflects the conversation by changing the subject, right? Nothing like an abrupt change of subject to cover up your sin and conviction. I'm sure she was thinking, well, snap, this guy's a prophet. Man, I need to ask him something religious so I can like steer clear of my own life, right? And there's no better way to change the subject than to ask a religious question, okay? Why, yes, as long as we're speaking about my five husbands and my adultery, tell me, where do you stand on this issue of where people should worship? You know, what? Like, where does that even come from? I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. We worship here. You worship there. Which is it? But Jesus is not fooled because the woman is concerned, right? The woman at the well is concerned with location. 
where's the right place to worship? The Pharisees now would have like jumped on this argument and they would have been, rah, 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 they would have been just arguing with her, right? You're wrong and you're a stupid Samaritan and we're right and this and that. Notice Jesus, though, doesn't take that tact, right? Jesus' answer shows us the Samaritan woman is actually asking the wrong question. Jesus said to her, woman, which is actually not, it's actually, it sounds bad in English, but it's actually a term of endearment, right? My dear, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. So friends, worship is not merely an external act that you do somewhere, that you do at a place, okay? Worship is first and foremost an experience of the heart. Prayer without heart are just empty words, okay? Songs without heart are just off-key melodies. Confessions and creeds and liturgies and sermons that don't come from the heart are just empty and worthless in God's eyes. So Jesus says to the woman, don't get hung up on controversies that don't really matter. Who and how you worship are more important than where. So if we were to worship God rightly, then we must pay attention to the who and the how. The where is not important, but the who and how are critically important. Okay, and as for Summit Community Church, these two questions, who we worship and how we worship, I think are one of the, they, they, they make one of the pillars of our church that hold up our mission statement. Okay, so let's talk about this, right? Who should we worship? This is vitally important because it determines if we worship the one true God or a false God. Jesus told the Samaritan woman, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. I mean, let's be honest here, right? We can be gentle. We can be kind. We can be respectful when we talk about God when speaking to our friends of another religion. But my friends, at some point, there's going to come a time when we have to say biblical worship is true and your worship is false. And what will people say to that? You're mean. You're intolerant. You're arrogant. But it's not unkindness or intolerance or arrogance. If there is truth, and we humbly bow before the truth, then to try and persuade someone of the truth is not unkindness, intolerance, or arrogance. It's love. The Samaritans did not believe in all of the Old Testament. They didn't really believe in it. They, right, they only believed certain parts. Islam, Hinduism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, the pagan god of the capital S self, all the same. Their knowledge of God was flawed, and so their worship was flawed. Telling a person this is not unkind, intolerant, or arrogant. It's loving. Just like telling someone with lung cancer to stop smoking is loving. So what does Jesus mean when he says salvation is from the Jews? So God had chosen the, the Jews, this insignificant little nation of people, as his pipeline through which he would bring a savior into the world, through which he would preserve his word to mankind, 
right? God used this little group of people in particular, in a particular time and place, right, to bring mankind the most significant event in the history of the world and the most significant person in the history of the world. God becoming man, the Son of God walking among us, Jesus Christ, that's the who. How then should we worship the one true God? This is uh, the how piece is answered in verses 23 and 24, right? We must worship God the Father in spirit and in truth. So worship must be vital and it must be real and it must be from within. It must be from the heart, right? But it must be based on a true perception of God. Worship must come from both the head and the heart. So let's go back to John 3, 6. John 3, 6 is how we're going to figure out how we worship in spirit. Jesus tells Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So to worship in the spirit, worship in spirit and in truth, in order to worship in the spirit, the little s, spirit, means we have to be born of the Holy Spirit, the big S, spirit, okay? If we're not born in the Spirit, I'm sorry, the big S, the Holy Spirit, then we are spiritually dead. Until we are born of the Holy Spirit, until we are born again, remember, we've talked about this over and over, we are not children of God, but instead we are children of the devil. It is when we are born again by the Holy Spirit, adopted as sons and uh, daughters of God, then we can truly worship, right? The Holy Spirit creates in us a new life. And until we're born again, our spirit is dead. We don't worship anything but ourselves. We think we worship God, but it's a God of our own making, a God of our own choosing. It's the the Chinese buffet version of God. I'm going to take a little bit of this. I'm going to take a little bit of that. Oh, I like this. No, I ain't going for the green beans. I'm going to take this over here, you know, and I'm going to eat my way. I'm going to worship my way until we are born of the spirit, right? So worshiping in spirit then means that those who worship God as he desires to be worshiped are those who have been spiritually made alive by the power of God. All right, now when we worship in truth, though, we must worship God as he truly is, not as we want him to be. We worship, you know, we worship him as he desires, not how we should think he wor- that we should worship, right? So this begs the question, then, how do we know how to worship God in truth. How do we even know that? Well, the Word of God tells us how God wants to be worshipped, right? One way is through Jesus Christ. Now think about this. Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. So to worship in truth, then me, that means we must worship in Christ, the Pharisees, you know, uh, had the Old Testament memorized. The Jewish religious leaders, I mean, they had the whole Old Testament memorized, right? But yet Jesus says to them in John 5, 39 through 40, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they who bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The Pharisees had the truth, but they didn't know the truth. John eight nineteen through 20 says, so the, the Jews, the Pharisees are asking, asking Jesus. Jesus keeps talking about his father. The Pharisees ask him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, 
you would know my Father also. So there are other passages, passages in John, friends, but realize this. In order to know God and worship Him, we must know and worship and love the Son, Jesus Christ. Okay? The Pharisees claim to know God and have Him as their Father in John 8. We have one Father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. That's harsh. (laughs) But the Pharisees were all that and more. They thought they were all that and more. They knew the scriptures, but they didn't know God. Okay, so let's please be clear this morning, right? We cannot worship God the Father without loving, honoring, and believing in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So worshiping in truth also means worshiping according to the Word of God, right? Jesus prays to the Father about His disciples in John seventeen seventeen. He, uh, he says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. So the Word of God is truth. So I don't want to go into this much because I know the past couple of weeks we've looked at how in Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, the uh, the new disciples who came into church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Literally, they devoted themselves to the Word of God, right? Um, we also saw how a word-based church is a church that God delights in, okay? We also saw how preaching and teaching must be word-based, right? Bible-based, this, and not based on my opinions or my soapbox issues, okay? None of that. But now let's connect these together. So I think worshiping in truth then means worshiping God according to the word of God through Jesus Christ. Now let's put all this together. So when, when, when Jesus says you must worship God in spirit and in truth, we mean this, that Christians who worship God as he desires to be worshiped are those who have been spiritually made alive by the power of the Holy Spirit, worship according to the word of God, and through Jesus Christ. So three things. You've got to be born again. You've got to be made alive. You worship according to the word. And you worship in Jesus Christ. That's what that means. All right, so why is all this important? You're like, man, Brett, this is like a lecture. Okay? But let's look at verses 23 and 24 very quickly and observe two things. All right? One is that God is seeking such people to worship him. In verse 23. God is seeking people to worship him in spirit and in truth. Friends, if you are born again and you know God through the word and have believed in Jesus Christ, God is seeking you to worship him. Right? Our mission. What's our mission? Part of our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We are to make disciples of those who don't know the true God, who don't believe in Christ and are not born again so that they become worshipers that God is seeking. Think about this. Isn't this exactly who the Samaritan woman was? An outcast of society? A person who had to go to get water in the heat of the day because nobody wanted to be around her? She did not know the one true God. She did not know the word of God. And she did not until that meeting at the well even know who Jesus Christ was. But then her whole life was exposed and her life was turned upside down. What happened then? 
In John 4, verse 39, it says this, Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. After a while, even the townspeople said, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This person was an outcast. Nobody wanted to be around her. Nobody wanted to be associated with her. But Jesus walked right up to her and said, I've got a mission for you. You may be an outcast of society, but guess what? You are going to be my person here in this town called Sychar in Samaria, where nobody wanted to go. You are going to be my disciple, and you're going to lead the whole town to Jesus Christ. Nobody would have thought this woman had any meaning or value in her life at all. Yet she brought, who knows, hundreds of people to the Lord? Think about that. My prayer for Summit Community Church this morning and every morning is that we go to people like this in our community. Okay? We go to the people who are outcast, who don't know God, who don't know His Word, who don't know Jesus Christ. My friends, eternity hangs in the balance for so many people that we work with, that we go to school with, that we live next to, that we live with every single day. I mean, it boggles the mind that Jesus would use somebody like me, somebody like the Samaritan woman, somebody like any of us, who would actually be used by God to bring people into his kingdom and affect someone's eternity. So many people are like, oh, I don't want to hear about that. I got to go to the football game. I got to go to work. I got to do this. I got to do that, right? My friends, our life here on this earth is but a drop in the ocean compared to eternity. Most people don't think like that. Most people don't even know what's going on tomorrow. Most people have nothing except what's in front of them. But my friends, eternity for people hangs in the balance. These souls are important. So can we not then be used by the Holy Spirit to help bring those souls to know God and to know Jesus Christ? I mean, I always say, I want every person in Summit Community Church to be this, this living, this well of overflowing living water. God just doesn't fill us up. He fills us up so that we're overflowing. We spill out onto everybody. Right? That's what we want. We want to be so filled with the Holy Spirit that we overflow to everybody that we come in contact with. I mean, can we not do that when we know that there are souls in the balance on the edge of the cliff looking down with the rocks falling off, right? People jumping off the cliff thinking they're going to have a great time, cannonballing off the cliff into eternity. We, don't, we, we have to care 
for these people's souls. I mean, that's why, that's why I do what I do. That's why I preach like I preach, because I could come in here and give you a feel-good message, okay? I could, you know, and you would go out and you'd feel good about yourself, but you would be no closer to God or Jesus Christ than you were when you came in here. I will have failed in my calling if I do that. And not all of us are called to be preachers and, you know, whatever. But we are all called to be Christians. And we're afraid to talk because I I was afraid to talk. I don't know what to say. What am I going to say? People are going to laugh at me. The Spirit will give you the words to say. But, I mean, I'm going to be hard. I'm going to ask you, right? Is your comfort more important than somebody's eternal soul? I've had to wrestle with these things. I know you have too, but I'm, I'm hoping that we could, we as a church can get beyond this and understand that each and every person, it doesn't matter who they are, what their past is like, where they're at today, it doesn't matter. Each and every person has a soul of infinite value. And we just might perhaps be called to be used by God to bring that soul from a child of the devil to a child of God. So God is seeking worshipers such as those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So let us pray that the spirit of God guides us and uses us to effect eternal change in the the changes the eternal destination of so many people around us. Let's pray.